0: to our verse that we are, a couple of verses that we're thinking about and meditating upon, hopefully committing to memory this month, over the last couple of months. We've been in Colossians chapter 3 last month, verses 1 and 2, this month verses 3 and 4. It's on the screen for you, Uh, just as we have sung together this morning, lifting the one unified voice of the congregation. Let's lift our voices together again as we repeat uh, these two verses together, make a couple of observations, and then we'll pray to look at God's Word this morning. Repeat it with me. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with Him in glory. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. The word hidden, right there, I think a couple things you want to be thinking about and meditating upon. Number one, we are in union with Christ. We have been so saved, so cleansed, so made new, so forgiven, so freely justified, so sealed by God's Holy Spirit that our very life, our very substance, our very identity is Christ. Secondly, the word hidden denotes security for us. All that we have sung this morning that is pointing you forward to a future glory that is going to happen if you are in Christ because you are hidden you are safe you are secure in Christ there is not a single solitary thing saint that you can do this morning today tomorrow any moment of your life that is going to cause you to slip from God's omnipotent grasp you are safe and secure in him and so then when christ who is your life appears and that day is coming beloved when that moment comes what's going to happen to you you're going to appear with him in glory you're going to reign with him in glory you will be entirely, completely glorified in every possible way and You will be home and You will be safe. So let's pray in light of those realities. Father, thank You for these Gospel truths. God, thank You that our life is Christ. That we are found in in union with Him. God, thank You that our eternity is secure in Christ. God, I pray for the weary saints in the room this morning. Who may be somewhere back in the back of their mind in the recesses of their heart, they wonder, am I really going to make it? God, would You show them that if they are in Christ, they are eternally secure. And God, would they find encouragement and help in that today? Lord, as we come to Your Word, to study it, to preach it, to hear it, to ingest it, to apply it, to obey it, to respond to it, God, thank You for the Bible. Thank you for these ancient scriptures, ever true. God, would you take them now, work them into the soil of our hearts and grow a harvest in us, O God. For the one in the room that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, may they see the beauty of you as a father and that through Christ comes access to you. God, may your spirit do his work in our hearts. We ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Church family, would you take God's word this morning? Join me in Matthew chapter 6 once again. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. We come to the end of our study here over these last two or three weeks on the model prayer as we have seen it in verses 9 down to 13. Let me just here at the very end as we wrap this part of the Sermon of the Mount, as we wrap it up, let me just remind us of what we've seen over these last couple of weeks. You can just let your eyes flow back up. To verses 9 and 10, we saw there that we, as we pray, it should be our first desire, our chief ambition, that we pray for God's glory, that we pray for... The advancement of His kingdom that we hallow, that we revere, that we honor, that we glorify His name. Our heart's desire is for the furtherance of His glorious eternal kingdom, not our own. And what we found in verses 9 and 10 is that it is going to take A a gospel wrought humility in our hearts if we are going to be able to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But as we pray with humility, God is exalted and glorified in our prayer. Then, verses 11 and 12 and verses 14 and 15 we looked at together last week we're praying to God for our needs right in verse 11 our physical needs in verse 12 our spiritual needs what are those spiritual needs we have the greatest need to be forgiven of our sin and in light of that we then readily gladly joyfully forgive others that sin against us. And there's that warning you remember in verses 14 and 15 that if you forgive others, your sin will be forgiven. If you do not forgive others, there can be no expectation of God's forgiveness toward us. So then, we come to verse 13 here to wrap up this study this morning. If, last week, if verses 12, 14, and 15 are about our past sin, sins that we have already committed, then verse 13 is about our current, ongoing, present sin against which we struggle and fight. I want to state clearly from the beginning that absolutely, positively, yes, we should pray for God's forgiveness when we sin. We saw this last week. We should do that. That should be a pattern of prayer for us. At the same time, though, we should also be those who pray to ask God for His help so that we just don't sin in the first place. Not just merely in the midst of the temptation, not merely after the sin, but what about praying on the front end God, help me so that I don't sin against you. If we rightly understand our sin, if we rightly understand what Scripture says about it and its devastating effects on our lives, then I think what will happen in us is that we will earnestly pray to God and we will ask Him for His help in our fight against sin we want to be careful here we want to be careful when it comes to our sin and our thoughts about our sin and our relationship with god we want to be careful that we don't use god's forgiving grace as a license for sin this is what paul's dealing with at the beginning of romans chapter 6 do we sin more so that grace may abound. Paul has just been writing in the previous chapters, you are saved by faith through grace. And so then Paul asks in Romans 6 verse 1, what then? Do we sin more so that we just keep getting more grace from God? And Paul, in the strongest negation possible, says what? May it never be. Absolutely not. That is not how this works. When we think about our sin." when we are praying about our sin, dealing uh, with our sin as it relates to our relationship with God, we want to be careful, beloved. Careful that we do not treat God's forgiving grace as a license to sin. But instead, we should pray for God's grace to help us not to sin. John Stott said this, the sinner whose evil in the past has been forgiven, longs to be delivered from its tyranny in the future. M- meaning, if our sin, if our past sin has been forgiven, then we should have a longing for t- to be released from sin's tyranny in the future. And so we pray. As we see in verse 13 this morning, God, help us not to sin. Search. Here's my prayer for us in these short uh, this short verse today these few brief words my prayer is that in this text before us that we would learn to never presume upon God's grace and we would never treat God's grace as cheap but that we would hate our sin and that we would pray earnestly unto the Lord before running headlong into temptation and sin. Chapter 6, let's read the entirety of the model prayer together one more time. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Here's our text this morning. Do not... Lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then you're going to just notice, I want a brief uh, call to attention here. We'll explain it more in a moment. Some of you have the next words in brackets in your Bible. Some of you don't even have what I'm about to read. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen. As we get to the end of the sermon, we'll kind of address that, what's going on with everything there. In verse 13, I think for us there are three prayers that we want to pray in our fight against sin. So three prayers that we want to pray in our ongoing fight against sin. And number one is this, we pray to God that He would lead us away from temptation. That as He is our good shepherd and we are the sheep of His pasture, when it comes to our sin and our fight against it, we pray that God would lead us away from temptation. How does verse 13 begin? And, one more petition, one more request, and do not lead us into temptation now initially this might seem like a bit of an odd request it it might seem odd to our ears or in our mouths why does jesus teach us to pray in this way does god does god or can god lead us into a temptation to sin? Does or can God tempt us to sin? Does temptation to sin does it ever originate with God? Is that what Jesus is somehow suggesting here when he tells us to pray, "Lead us not into temptation." Well, thankfully, scripture answers these questions for us. Would you turn to James chapter 1 for a moment? James chapter one, very clearly, succinctly, helpfully, James one instructs us about temptation, its origins, where it comes from and does not come from. James chapter one, look down to verse 13 with me. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth Death. James chapter 1 and verse 13 answers the question for us, does God, can God, would God, will God ever lead me into a temptation to sin? James 1:13 makes abundantly clear no, never. God cannot be tempted by evil in His holiness and in His holiness and goodness, God never tempts anyone to sin. So then, He cannot also then lead us into temptation. So then what does Jesus mean here? What is at the very heart of this petition, prayer, before God? At the heart of this petition is this, church. It is such an utter disdain for our sin. It is that there is such an utter absolute distaste and hatred for our sin, that it would lead us to proactively pray, God, lead me away from sin's temptation. We hate, as God's people, as those forgiven, as those cleansed, we should be those who hate our sin. We should be those who seek to kill our sin in us we should be those ever seeking to uh, take our sin and daily nail it to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ putting it off putting it away from us and at the very heart then of this prayer lead us not into temptation is essentially saying to God God protect me as my good shepherd who loves me, who cares about me. God, lead me away from situations, from circumstances, from places that would tempt me to sin. God, protect me. Help me. God, my, what did we just sing earlier, church? My heart is prone to wander, Lord. It's, it's prone to wander. I, I feel that, God. I know that about me. It's prone to leave the God I love. So God, lead me not into temptation. This prayer is being proactive in our fight against sin. There is a sense where we are reactive in our fight against sin. When we find ourselves maybe in a moment of temptation and sin, Or maybe after the fact. We certainly pray, God, forgive. I confess, God, that according to your word, that was sin. God, forgive. But this prayer in verse 13 is not reactive, it is proactive. It is getting ahead of it. It is knowing our own hearts and praying, God, I know, I know my heart. As best I can, I know my heart. And God, it is prone to wander. It's prone to stray. So God, before my feet hit the floor this morning, lead me away from temptation. Church, we are proactive in so many areas of our lives. We proactively plan financially we think about our educational plan and we are proactive about that. At at work, we are proactive in setting the goals and the things necessary to accomplish those things. In ministry, we seek to be proactive to reach lost people for the Gospel of of God and, and to edify the church should we not then also be proactive in our fight against sin not being lazy not thinking oh that won't happen to me i'm beyond that i'm past that i'm more mature than that now but being proactive to say god my heart is sinful help me oh god why on top of everything else that we've said here these few moments why should we pray this prayer why be so urgent Why be so proactive in our fight against sin? There's probably a lot of things we could say here, but let me just say this. I think the urgency here is because when it comes to the fight against temptation and sin, it is a double-sided assault upon our lives. Here's what I mean. There is a devil without. If we can say it this way, there's also a devil within. Let me just suss that out for just a moment. Remember James chapter 1, verse 14? Each one is tempted when? When does temptation come, James says? Is it something that the devil makes you do? Or does it come also... From another place, each one, James one fourteen, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts, sinful desires. Beloved, there is something in our own soul, in our own heart, e- even as believers. Even as those who have been set free from sin, there is something in us still that just wants to wander, that wants sinful desires, and that moves toward those things. So often, Satan gets the blame for things that I'm not sure he does. And I think that Satan is glad to take the blame if it keeps us from the reality that my heart is a problem. That I've got my own temptations in my soul that are seeking to lead me away. There is a devil, if you will, within There is, though, secondly, another front here on this fight against sin that there is, to be most certain, there is a very real devil. There is a very real tempter. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3 the tempter, Satan, came to Jesus in the wilderness. There is absolutely a real devil who hates God, who hates the people of God. He hates you. He is not your friend. He has His hosts. He has His demons. He has a sinful world system, a sinful world ethic that He temporarily rules over that is in its very nature tempting. He moves and He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone in this very room to devour. There is a devil without. There is a sinful heart within. And in light of those realities, ask yourself this question. When was the last time that you proactively prayed that God would lead you away from temptation? When was the last time that maybe before you even got out of bed, you said to the Lord, God, I know my heart today. I know the world today. I know that there is a real devil today. God, lead me away from temptation. Don't let me, God, Do me. Don't let me do me today, God. Because if I do that, if I do that, I'm going to destroy myself. God, bind me. Seal me for Thy courts above. Not praying in the midst of temptation or sin only. Not praying after the sin only. But proactively. Beforehand. Being thoughtful and careful about your sin and temptations. God, help me. How different, I wonder, how holy, I wonder, would our lives be if that were our prayer. Secondly, what else do we pray? second prayer that we pray in our fight against sin is that we pray that God would deliver us from sin, lead us not into temptation, verse 13, but deliver us from evil. The word deliver there, it it means to rescue. It, It means to set free. There is an aspect of this word that also means to snatch with force, to remove one from a dangerous situation and i think beloved that ought to be the sense of our prayer when it comes to our sin god i find myself now in a position of temptation maybe possible sin maybe actually sinning god would you deliver Praying proactively again, God, if I get too close, when I get too close to the flames, God, deliver me. Praying, God, I don't want to dishonor you. I don't want to dishonor you in my sin. And so in the midst of temptation, set me free in that moment. God, I don't want to ruin my relationship with others by my sin, so snatch me out of it. God, I know my wayward heart. Grab me by the collar and yank me away from destruction. Beloved, we have to rightly understand our sin and its devastating consequences, what it does primarily to our relationship with God, what it does in our own souls, what it does in our relationship with others, and when we rightly understand the devastating nature of sin, we can then only pray, God, snatch me from evil. God, don't let me get too close. God, that is a fire And like a moth to a flame, my sinful heart is drawn toward it. But God, help me. Help me. Snatch me. Rescue. Deliver me from evil. Beloved, it is God's great plan for you. It is God's glorious desire for you that you would not run into sin. That you would be holy that you would grow in sanctification that you would put sin to death in you so church pray pray God guard me protect me deliver me from sin and all evil scripture is full scripture is full of the language of God keeping and delivering his people from sin So then, this should be a regular part of our prayer. Uh, This should be a regular petition unto God. Jesus is praying this for us in John chapter 17 and verse 15. He says this, I do not ask you, talking to the Father, I do not ask you to take them, his people, out of the world, but I ask you to keep them from the evil one. That's Jesus' prayer for us. Hours before He dies. God, I'm not asking that You take them out of the world. They're going to be left here as salt and light for the advancement of the Gospel. God, I'm praying for them that You protect them, keep them from the evil one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. And so in light of all of that, in light of Jesus' prayer for you, in light of God's faithfulness, in light of God's power and ability to rescue you, protect you, to snatch you out of the fire, pray, church. Don't wait around. Certainly don't play around with sin. You can't play with it and come out unscathed. No more than you can take fire in your bosom and not come away burned. Sin is a it is a disease that consumes and destroys and you cannot play with it. You cannot think that I'll just kind of have this little sin going on in this part of my life and I'm going to keep it compartmentalized and it's not going to affect everything else. No, it will absolutely affect everything else and ruin you. This world is not your home. This world is not your friend. The temptations are dire. The need to pray is urgent. How does God deliver us from evil? Maybe an an important question to consider. I'm going to give you three ways that I think this happens. There might be many more. As you think about when I pray this, how is God going to answer that prayer? How is God going to deliver me from evil? Number one, I think sometimes, beloved, God rescues us from evil supernaturally. That God does this supernaturally. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, I read it a moment ago, God provides a way of escape. You might recall in Genesis chapter 19 the story of Lot there in Sodom. Lot has gotten much too comfortable and familiar, much too lax in Sodom. And uh, you recall that these two angels of the Lord come to pronounce god's coming judgment upon sodom and a series of events of events occurs and all of the men of the city recall they are kind of banging on lot's door asking for something very sinful to happen in that moment lot goes out and tries to reason with sin you can't reason with sin you can't reason your way out of temptation and they are about to seize Lot, the men of the city, are about to seize him and bring harm to him. And we read in Genesis 19 and verse 10 that these angels of the Lord, they grab Lot by the back of his you know, coat and they yank him back into the house. I think sometimes the reality is that because God cares about our holiness, he will sometimes supernaturally deliver us from evil. You do not know but that that extra long red light that's driving you crazy, that that might be of the Lord to keep you from some kind of evil. You do not know but that those misplaced keys before you leave the house in the morning, that that might not be of the Lord being used to deliver you from some kind of evil you do not know but that that long and slow line at the grocery store that that might be somehow in god's providence keeping you from evil but i think secondly god delivers us from evil through his word through his word god delivers from evil in his word god shows us what is true about sin and its consequences. Through His Word, John 17, 17 says He sanctifies us and He grows more desires in us for holiness and less desires for sin. Through our obedience to His Word, we are delivered from sin. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to Your Word. And then I think thirdly, God delivers us from temptation and evil through our own efforts at sanctification. Here's what I mean by that. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we are told to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, even as Paul will say, it is God who is at work in us, both to will and work for His good pleasure. And so then... When we apply some spiritual elbow grease, uh, when we acquire a little spiritual sweat on our brow, when we apply ourselves to sanctification, becoming more like Jesus and less like sin, God uses that to deliver us from evil. You remember Cain, Genesis chapter 4? Abel, his brother, had offered a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. Cain had offered one not pleasing to the Lord. And Cain was pretty upset about it. God comes to him. Cain, why are you you so downcast? Why are you so downcast? Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Then God also said to Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain has not obeyed the Lord. As a result, sin has absolutely occurred. God comes to him. Cain, what are you doing? Don't you know that if you do well, if you obey me, if you do what is pleasing to me, your countenance will be lifted up. But Cain, you also need to know that if you don't do well, sin is crouching right at the door. As soon as you open it, it's going to pounce. Its desire is to have you, Cain, do well. You recall Joseph in Genesis 39? He's in Egypt, Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife has a sinful eye. She lays hold of him for sinful purposes. What does Joseph do? He doesn't reason. He doesn't, hey, let's talk about this. What does he do? He's gone. He flees. He doesn't wait around. When we obey 1 Corinthians 6.18, which plainly, clearly says flee immorality, God uses that to deliver us from evil. Beloved, Do you take sin seriously enough to ask for God's help? On the front end, proactively, do you understand sin's devastating effects to such a degree that you pray, that you beg of God, lead me not into temptation? Do you have such a distaste for your sin that you are praying before your feet hit the floor, Lord, lead me away from it today? John Calvin said this whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptations acknowledges that unless God deliver him he will be constantly falling beloved you got to pray don't rely on self don't rely on church attendance don't rely on how much bible doctrine theology you know rely on God pray God deliver me now briefly, what about the end of verse 13? For some of you, it's in brackets in your Bible. For some of you, it's not even in the text of Scripture. It's probably down in your footnotes somewhere. The wording is this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What's going on here? Let let me just say, I think this is our third prayer that we're praying, and we're praying that God would be praised praying that God would be praised. What's going on with the language here? Let me just give you maybe a brief, very brief explanation of what's happening here. The New Testament of the Bible uh, was translated for us into English from the Greek language. The authors of the New Testament uh, spoke the common tongue of the Roman world that day, the Greek language. And uh, so as they wrote on parchment, being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, they wrote in the Greek language. Our English translations have come to us from the oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts available to us. And there's a whole lot going on with that, but just know that your English translation in your lap this morning has come to you from the oldest and most reliable Greek manuscripts that we have and in those oldest and most reliable greek manuscripts the words at the end of verse 13 do not appear these words were added later for reasons that we do not know and so in an effort then to be faithful and true to those oldest and most original manuscripts the translators And just the publisher of your Bible, they have put these in parentheses or they've removed them from the text of Scripture, inserted them as a footnote to help you understand these were not words in that precise moment spoken by Jesus. So what do we do with these words then? Do we just throw them out? Do we just ignore them completely? Well, again, these words in that moment when Jesus is teaching, those words were not spoken by him. However, these words are certainly true. And in other places in Scripture, you will find these words almost identically. Turn back to the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, first. Chronicles. Chronicles chapter 29 First Chronicles chapter 29 King David has just received offerings that are going to be used for the construction of the temple First Chronicles chapter 29 look down to verse 11 Yours O Lord is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Do those words sound familiar? I think they do as you see those words being used in Matthew chapter 6 Alex read for us earlier from Revelation chapter 5 I'll just read verses 11 to 14 I looked I saw the I heard the voice of many angels And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. So, church, our prayer should always be that the kingdom which belongs to God, that it would come. We saw that in verse 10 of the model prayer. Our prayer should always be a recognition of our Father who is in heaven and the sovereign power that is His. Our prayer should always seek God's great glory and not our own, as we saw in verse 9. And then just apply it this way to your hearts. When you seek God's kingdom, when you seek God's power, when you seek God's glory, when you seek to live for God's praise, that will aid you in your fight against sin. When God is the greatest, the most glorious reality of your life, you will hate sin. You will not want to enter into it. And God will use that to deliver you from evil. And so, with that, we come to the end of this beautiful and enduring passage of Scripture, the model prayer. As a reminder, that prayer begins how? Our Father. How sweet and tender kind and good, loving and providing is God. Do you know God as Father today? Have you come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sins? Have you trusted in God's provision of salvation? And those aren't many provisions. It's one. And that one, again, is through the death Burial and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Christian, I pray for us that the very heart of the model prayer would mark our relationship with God and the way that we commune with him in prayer. That we would ever pray, that we would ever approach him as a good father until His glory be seen and His kingdom come. Let's pray together. God, once again, we have seen together the richness of Your Word. God, we have seen God, how every single time we come to Your Word, we find it to be living and active. It's not stale. It's not for an older generation. God, it's for me. It's for us right here, right now. God, I pray that in our fight against sin, that we would pray. That we would be proactive. God, that we would call upon You, not relying in our own ability, but God, that we would call upon You to lead us, to deliver us. God, that in prayer we would praise Your great name. Taking our eyes off of ourself. Off of our sinful desires. and God, seeking after You. Oh God, You are our shepherd. We, O oh God, are the sheep of your pasture lead us help us to follow help us to be more like jesus and we pray this in his great name amen church would you stand with me as alex leads us in singing in response to the word